Hi, it's Fraser and Craig again. Welcome back to Video Drone. And on this week, we're going to be talking about A Town Called Panic. Indeed. Which is a French animation, totally bonkers. Then we're moving over to Japan with Electric Dragon 80,000 Volts, which is even more out there. And then finally, <laughs> we're bringing it back down to earth with Ty West's House of the Devil. So we're going to start off with A Town Called Panic mm -hmm. uh, that came out in 2009. It's a French film directed by Stéphane Aubier and Vincent Patard. Presented in the UK by Hammer and Tongs, who I think are a, uh, sort of more, more known for video, music video uh, sort of things and mm -hmm. adverts and things like that. Yeah. Now, before we get into the plot, how to describe the animation in this film. Mm, yeah. It is... Um, if anybody in the stop UK, motion, first yeah, of all. it's stop motion. And if anybody in the UK remembers the Cravendale adverts with the pirate, the, the cyclist, cow. and the cow, yeah, it's exactly what it's like. So it's stop motions. It's kind of like substandard Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, they're like little figurines with bases on the bottom, like yeah. little stands. They kind of waddle and yeah. jerk about. So if you think of Toy Story, <laughs> and you think of the army soldiers that yeah. you might have had those toys as a kid, I don't know if kids have them these days. Maybe Probably. they do. Hopefully. Generally so yeah, come in like bags of like fifty or something. Yeah, so if you if you imagine like those, yeah. So we've got the main characters in the film is horse cheval, mm -hmm. uh, cowboy and Indian, mm -hmm. and they live in a little village. And uh, basically, what the film is all about, the plot is, <laughs> um, it's horse's birthday, mm -hmm. and both cowboy and Indian forgot about it, and so they try to make amends by yeah uh, making them a barbecue out of yeah. bricks. And, and they initially it, tried to order 50 bricks. And they order 50 million instead. <laughs> and basically, that, that's how it kicks off. And then you imagine with this sort of ima um, imagination, if this sort of, sort of animation, it's just um, totally out there. Yeah, Actually, completely surreal stuff. <laughs> yeah, the box describes it as Toy Story on Absinthe, <laughs> um, which if you do remember the Cravendale adverts, you'll get yeah, the gist of it. You will um, indeed. Yeah, and it's full of like crazy, crazy characters. There's... Um, a thief, which are these this sort of aquatic, aquatic race. Fish people. Yeah. Yeah. With the main thief being Gerard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the village itself is populated by weird characters, mm. the, the combinations of uh, real people, uh, well, not real people, people and animals. Yeah, exactly. So you have uh, Stephen the farmer. Yeah. Um, in his farmyard animals who he can kind of communicate with. He don't talk back, but he can... He, can, he just tells them what to do. He tells them do what it. to do like a, like a kid. Yeah. And they are like his children. I mean, they go to school... And you get taught by Mrs. Longray, who's like a sort of female horse. Yeah. That uh, is definitely the, the subject of horses, the main character's affections. Yeah. 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 <laughs> in fact, the way they get to use his PC to order all the bricks to make his barbecue is by distracting them, by getting them to go up and pick Stephen's children, or rather his farm children, animals, yeah. up from school, knowing he'll be distracted by Mrs. Longray. Uh, and so it, he goes to the school, has this conversation with him, and they get on his PC to order the bricks, but unfortunately, they hold down the zero key and add loads of zeros yeah having 50 million bricks delivered and <laughs> chaos ensues and then they try to hide them yeah, on top which, of the house which results in the obliteration of the house yeah yeah and, <laughs> and then the end of going on this wacky subterranean adventure mm -hmm. to reclaim the walls from gerard and his fish 
people rooms. Yeah, who, who decided to steal the house. It's How's just, that for a summary for you? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, to keep... Well, I don't even know where to start. In the film, you've got a journey to the centre of the earth. Mm-hmm. You've got tidal waves. Uh-huh. We've got cattle mutilation. Um, <laughs> we've got... There's a party, which there's ends party, up in drunken yes. violence. Exactly, because uh, they obviously have horses' birthday party. Yeah. Um, which gets a bit out of control. I love I love the bit where they're all really, really drunk and they're going up the stairs to bed and one of them says, I can't feel my arms anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's loads of... It's sort of... It's PG-rated or loads. It is, it, yeah. Um, PG-rated. It, it says, con- contains mild violence and one use of mild language. I uh, mean, there are scenes where um, people are hitting each other and the, the character's quite often... Uh, Stephen's quite aggressive and violent, isn't he? he picks he's my favourite character, He picks yeah. up people and throws them through the air quite frequently. Yeah. And Horse also uses his back legs to kick kick a cowboy and Indian when he's a bit annoyed with them. Yeah. Um, but it's all like slapstick, cartoonish violence. Oh, it is. Really? I mean, the dynamic is sort of Horse is the dad of the household. Exactly. And cowboy and Indian are like naughty kids. Yeah. With Cowboy being more of the loose cannon. Yeah, he's more of a mess up, isn't he? Really? Yeah. There's a few scenes where where Indians kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> he's a bit stressed about his lot in life, kind of, kind of being paired with him. This is this is something that the series establishes, you know, that um, that he is kind of like, you know, horse is the more sorted one out of them. Oh yeah, definitely. He's, he's kind of like the the voice of reason. He is, so to speak. And you can, in fact, if you're interested in the series, the the episodes are on YouTube. Ardman distributed it in the UK. Yeah, because originally, with and y- y- yeah, it was originally a TV series before yes. they made this long feature. I think we neglected to mention that. Yeah, didn't we? so th- there is a TV series. You can check them out on YouTube. They're sort of five ten minutes long, I yeah. think. Um, and I actually, you know, before we get into this sort of criticism, I do think they work better than the oh, feature yes. because yeah. the feature, although I think it's about seventy seventy odd minutes. Seventy odd yeah. minutes. It's a lot to, to get through when, when you're used to seeing these as, as ten minute slots. I mean, I love it. It it is good, but it's a long. It's a lot to get through because there's so yeah. much happening. You have to really embrace the kind of the crazy surreal sort of slapstick humor day to get the most yeah. out of it. It's it's not something that um, is going to be. It's gonna it's a, it's gonna be divisive, basically, isn't it? Some people are gonna either love it or hate it. I would say. Yeah. But I think that as long as as long as you enjoy the humor, you'll you will be kind of swept along on the on the kind of uh, ride that it offers and just sort of forget about mm-hmm. the kind of crudity of the animation and things and just oh, I mean, enjoy it for what it is. You mean, you literally see the sort of the, the blue tack that's holding the characters in place <laughs> at, at, at some points, but it's it's just part of the charm. Yeah, I mean, I was liking it too. It boasts on the cover right, in in uh, breathtaking 2D. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, but, I mean, the, the humour to me, uh, in some ways, reminds us of the Boosh, Mighty Boosh. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. that sort of... Um, mm-hmm. And the sort of crazy adventures they go on in the Zooniverse mm-hmm. or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's along those lines. So if you like the bush, I think you'd probably appreciate this. Plus it's all in French as well. Exactly. <laughs> so which kind of sort of like lends it to a bit more sort of a sort of manicness. <laughs> but uh, like I said, my favourite character was Stephen, who's the yes. mad farmer, who's actually voiced by, if any, like for trivia fans, by, uh, I've got written down here, Benoit Poulvaud. Who was the lead character in the cult film from nineteen ninety two, Man Bites Dog? Really? Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, I only popped That's up. That's amazing. When it came up in the credits at the film. end, I saw the name. I thought 
I'm sure that's him. And I, I didn't checked really it out. do much research on it. No, 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 no. But that is that is incredible. I yeah. love that film. Uh huh. So that's a great film if you haven't seen it. By yeah, the way. but Stephen, he's he's a bit of a bastard and that, and a bit of an alcoholic. Bit more, uh, bit more disturbing than this one. But uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we could reveal that another day. Actually, oh, that's a tough film, there, Man Bites Dog. But yeah, so I mean, I quite enjoyed it. It's years since I've seen it. Didn't mm-hmm. enjoy it as I did first time round. And I'd be more leaning, pushing people to maybe watching the uh, the TV shorts, yeah. maybe rather than the. I film. think you'll get a better appreciation for for it. Um, maybe not not for the characters and everything, because that's very accessible from the get go. You can watch it without having seen the show. Mm-hmm. But I mean, getting into the sort of just the characters and the city, the situation, the the humor of it, and kind of just liking a town called Panic the Mall before you go to the full feature. Yeah, much like you know. There's very few people who wouldn't have seen the Simpsons before the Simpsons movie or yeah, the yeah, South Park yeah, movie, you know. Exactly. Uh, it'll get you, give you more love for the characters. Basically, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, Badly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, where, that's where I was going with that. No, no, that's cool. But I mean, <laughs> there's one clip. As if I do get round to doing the um, a sort of a little advert for YouTube, there's a, one clip in this film that's definitely going in, which is Stephen's Breakfast. That is fantastic. But we'll leave it at that, and it's just so. It's just. <laughs> 15 seconds of madness it's excellent but I'd say, you know, there's definitely um, not another movie I can think of where somebody goes on a quest to get the walls back yeah um, the bit... most surreal line where are my walls where have you hidden them <laughs> <laughs> but that bit I mean the sort of humour it is, is um, well they end up falling through a crack in the earth yeah and then it sort of cuts over. They've been falling so long, they've landed on a piece of rock and they're sitting playing cards. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just nuts, absolutely nuts. And sort of a lot of the humour are related to the goodies. Yeah. Anybody who's seen that, the sort of slapstick bits and the goodies, it's just definitely what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's animated, you can do what you want. Um, it's, you know, you've probably picked up for a few quid these days, so I mm-hmm. think it's definitely worth a purchase. Oh, yeah. It's... Uh... I think if you if you like surreal humour, you like sort of you know old school animation, stop motion, mm-hmm. and you just want to watch something a little bit different, you should check it out because it's a really interesting film and it will make you laugh. It's uh, it's got some really crazy gags in it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Okay, so that was a town called Panic, and moving on to a completely different film, couldn't be further removed, is. <laughs> Electric Dragon, 80,000 Volts. Indeed. Um, a 2001 film directed by Sogo Ishii, mm-hmm. who I think, has he changed his name? He now? has. He has recently changed his name to, um, to Gakariyu Ishii. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, this film stars Tadnobu Asano, mm-hmm. who's probably the most famous, well, there's only two or three people in the film, but he's quite well known. You may have seen or heard of a film called Ichi the Killer, yeah. Um, which also, is, the uh, remake of Satoshi you played the villain in that. He was, but for I West say a remake, well, like a new interpretation. Yeah, uh-huh. There's a lot of sequels to it. Um, for for Western audiences, he does appear in the two Thor films. He does, yes. He's um, one of Thor's kind of um, war buddies, isn't he? The, yeah. I forget they've got a title, but the like the group of warriors that he sort of hangs around with. Yeah. Basically. He's probably been in a few bits and bobs as well, but um, he is sort of. Quite well known in the West as he as he is in Japan. And he's so. got a huge he's got a huge following um, in Japan. He's a very well loved actor. His rival is uh, Masatoshi Nagase uh-huh. uh, in the film. We'll get into the characters in a little bit. Yeah, while, yeah. But he yeah. basically plays the other main villain. There's a couple of other actors in the film, but it's quite sparse in terms of characters. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's a funny film this one because it's only fifty four minutes long, isn't That's it? That's right. It's it's kind of um, it's shot in black and white first of all. Yeah. And it kind of, if you've seen the films of uh, Shinji Sugimura, like Tetsu, and the early kind of cyberpunk movement in the 80s and stuff, That's it kind definitely... of 
it yeah. has that same sort of stark like black and white imagery as the Tetsuo movies do. Plot wise it's and sort of theme wise it's quite different, but it has that sort of look anyway. Yeah, so the film kicks off with um all this imagery from old paintings and sort of textbooks and things. Yeah. Different cultures around the world talking about the dragon and the, the mythology like, of the yeah, dragon. Yeah, it's like old images of George and the slaying the dragon and stuff that like that. That sort of thing, yeah. yeah. And it basically talks about how it is just a myth, but there's there's this kind of dormant part of the brain that inherited by rept- our reptile ancestors. Yeah, we're supposed so, to have a bit of lizard in us, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, which is basically all to do with like violence and desire. Right. And this the character we're introduced to, Dragon Eye Morrison... When he was a child, he's, he basically climbed this electrical pylon with some other kids. And, and got a bit of a hit. And got a bit of a, yeah, exactly, of 80,000 volts, hence the title. Yeah. And he's since grown up, becoming increasingly violent. And the narrator sort of introduces us to the idea that this reptile part of his brain that would normally be dormant in most people is kind of awakened and is increasingly taking him over and making him more violent. He kind of has these convulsions and things. Yeah. And, and then you see him as a kid getting sort of um, electroshock therapy, don't you? When he's basically fighting kids at school and yeah. eating them up and <laughs> stuff. And so he, he keeps on having to have this shock therapy, but it seems that he needs to discharge electricity. Um, and he has electrical powers. Yeah. You know, kind of like something out of Marvel Comics, you know, he's, he's basically like a... Electro. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so he has all these um, ways to sort of both conduct and sort of discharge electricity to keep himself from, from kind of becoming out of control, basically. Yeah. Including playing a, an electric guitar that's like hooked up to generators and all sorts of crazy uh-huh. stuff in his house. <laughs> that bit when he sort of pops up all the generators and stuff reminded uh-huh. me of Back to the Future. Yeah. You know, the start of that. That's definitely nicked off that way, for <laughs> well, sure. We're a bit, when, bit more crazy than yeah, that. Yeah, when Marty yeah. McFly blows himself away. Brilliant. <laughs> Sends himself over the side of the room, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he's obviously fighting all these um, violent urges and, and trying to sort of keep himself in line, so to speak. Uh-huh. Um, and he basically works as what the film calls a reptile investigator. <laughs> he basically finds lost lizards in Tokyo's alleyways. As you do. <laughs> There's a lot of trawling around the alleyways, following them yeah. as he's like sort of snooping around and stuff, yeah, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he, he goes and finds uh, people's sort of lost uh, exotic pets. You never actually seem to find anything, but... <laughs> well, I think you, maybe you do one, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah, all right. Uh, but yeah... Um, so it establishes his character and then we're introduced to a character who's nicknamed Thunderbolt Buddha. He's basically a vigilante who mm-hmm. wears like a half Buddha mask. Yeah. And he, he seems to be um, fighting sort of uh, criminals using electric devices. He also has electrical powers. Yeah. It's established that he was struck by lightning in a similar kind of like comic book type origin. Yeah. And the film is very comic book. I mean, it has uh, it has a narrator who who talks a bit like an old school comic books narration introducing the characters. Well, you almost sort of have sort of almost title cards to introduce yes. certain parts of the film. That's right. The and actual his... kanji, and then that kanji is subtitled pops up on screen. Yeah, so if you ever see any Japanese TV programs where they seem dead over the top, this guy's shouting away. But it's, yeah. It's, yeah it's a lot of anime has similar, similar narration. Yeah, it's I mean, almost like a slap in the face. A lot of the it? old toy shows like uh, Fist of the North Star and that, and, and uh, the original Dragon Ball have a narration where a character like is excitedly telling you a summary of the plot of what happened in the previous episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guy's on steroids or something, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, he basically uh, has this um, this great great moment where, he, where he's introducing Dragon Eye Morrison and he says, uh, he conducts electricity, he talks to reptiles, he's the man, Dragon Eye Morrison. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dragon Eye's also a boxer, isn't he? He is, yes. Yeah. And that seems to be another one of the ways that he's to... trying to deal with his aggression. Yeah. 
Because um, he even gets pulled out of the ring and he's still beating up all his, all his helpers and <laughs> stuff. That's it's right, great. <laughs> so um, when Thunderbolt Buddha is introduced, he seems to be like a vigilante. I mean, there is a scene that Fraser mentioned earlier when we were talking before recording where he seems to just shock this guy using an electrical device and we're not mm-hmm. really sure what that guy's done. But later it does establish that he has been fighting criminals and there's this yeah. guy, this sleazy guy who seems to be like, um, you know... Basically putting women on the street and drugging them. And oh, stuff. is that the guy with who twirls the phone around? Yeah, all the he's time. always twirling his mobile yeah. phone around. And it because he he's on the phone and he says something about um, covering up this woman's track marks on her arm. Yeah, with some makeup to like sort yeah. of disguise the fact oh, she's drugging. He's drugging. definitely gangster because he's wearing yeah. a big sort of like sheepskin. He looks type. like he could be yakuza or something. Yeah, he? yeah. And um, and so he he's basically stalking this bloke and he wears this half butter mask and he has all these electrical devices that utilizes powers to like shock people. Mm-hmm. Um. And he comes across Dragonite Morrison. They kind of have this chance meeting where they pass each other in the street. And then he seems to do some sort of research on him and figure out that he's the same as him. Yeah. And obviously it's leading to a showdown between the two. Because it's never really established exactly what Buddha's motivations are. But he seems to just want to test him and see who's more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all oh, one thing we haven't mentioned is the fact that um, Thunderbolt Buddha is... Seem, seems to be like fighting a battle against himself in a similar way to Morrison has these inner, inner demons he does too yeah and he actually seems to fight himself like he's a part to of his body himself doesn't he there's a part of his body that's out of his own control it's a bit like Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead 2 you know he's, well, when his, his hand hands, gets possessed yeah yeah, yeah. His, his hand's giving it that trying to shot yeah, himself yeah. and he's uh-huh. suppressing it and putting it back uh-huh. and um, when they finally confront each other you know he basically seems to um, just want to see who's who's more powerful Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like his whole motivation. I mean, I don't know if he maybe thinks by defeating Morrison it might kind of subdue some of his demons and kind of... Because it seems to be all about discharging the electricity he needs to uh-huh. in order to get by. And where whereas Morrison's doing it with his boxing, with his electric guitar and with his, like, shocking himself, discharging himself. Yeah. Um, He's doing it by sort of zapping these criminals with all his gadgets. Yeah. So that's the kind of summary of, like, what the, what the sort of plot's like. But it just gives away all this mad madcap imagery and a really cool sort of showdown at the end, which yeah. is just completely mental. And the sort of soundtrack's sort of thrash, I don't know, industrially metal-y sort of thing, but there's a bit of, um, what have I got written down here somewhere? It was, like, sort of goes dub in one part. Yeah, there is it's a... Like, like, proper, the, tr- like, the track has actually got dub in the title, because yeah. just to give you a bit of background, is that we watched um, the Region 1 special edition from uh, Discotheque, and that actually comes with the soundtrack CD. Right. So the chapter stops have, like, um, it has the chapter stops for the movie and the inlay, and then it has all the soundtrack uh, titles as well. Mm-hmm. And that track is called Dub Something, I forget, off the top of my head. Because like, every ten minutes he thrashes about on a guitar, doesn't he? He does the, indeed, because he's, like I say, he's discharging Just, his yeah. electricity through playing this kind of power guitar, as it's called in the chapter stops. Yeah. And um, there's also a great scene where he basically... His guitar is destroyed and he reconstructs it mm-hmm. into what's known by Sogo as the Franken guitar. The Frank Franken guitar. Yeah, because <laughs> his guitar's shredded into pieces. Yeah, Thunderbolt Buddha's really provoking him, isn't he? Yeah. He kills some of his little lizard friends and things mm-hmm. like that, and he chops all his guitars up and stuff. And and he's oh. But he basically reconstructs it. Yeah, he does. Binds he's... it together uh-huh. and makes and just kind of thrashes out this like crazy sort of wall of noise sound. Yeah. Out. Going Dirge. completely mental on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> sort of wailing on the thing and like just prior to his confrontation with him. It's a strange little film, really. It is it's indeed. really we can't it's not like a normal film as in 
a normal narrative film like yeah. most of the other films are taught about. It's exactly. very it's about ideas. Arty. Yeah, it's yeah, experimental. Yeah. It, definitely, but don't let yeah, that put a, you off. That's the word for it. Yeah, yeah. Ex- definitely experimental. Don't let that put you off. I mean, if you enjoy like um, if you enjoy sort of unusual films, and you like um, sort of things that are a bit different, you should check it out. And if you like, um, you know, sort of uh, quite um, manic films, but the films with a lot of cool imagery in them. It's quite out there, and I think you were saying before that it's more of an experience than a, than a, a sort of yeah. just a, a viewing, as it were. Yes, there was a quote from Tom Mez of Midnight Eye who loved this film. In fact, he wrote the liner notes for the DVD, right. and he said it's a film you experience rather than watch, and I think that's a yeah. good, that is a good analogy. That, that sums it up nicely. Because if you're looking for a plot that goes from A to Z, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's more about ideas, and like I said, it, it talks about this kind of um, dormant part of the brain, and it's, it's kind of about the psyche, and it's also a super-powered showdown movie. Where two electrical and <laughs> electrical powered beings go at each other at yeah. the end, um, and you know you shouldn't really try to read too much into this film, but it's an experience and it's interesting. I mean, you could see it easy make a sort of like comic strip, couldn't oh, it? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely influences of both American uh, comics and manga in there. Uh-huh. I mean, the narration and the sort of um, and the kind of uh, way the characters are introduced recalls old school Marvel comics to me. But then the sort of super powered showdown between the two of them is very. Like manga and anime, you know? it is. Well, it's got even got a touch of Bruce Lee in there. It does. There's the scene where he's doing the sort of cutter when Dragon Eye Morrison is doing the cutter and he's moving his arms around. And it's and it's there's like an after image, yeah, just like, like in Fist, Fist of Fury. Fury. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought I picked up on that as yeah. well because uh, that's a quite memorable moment from Fist of Fury where he's he's got kind of that uh, after image thing going on. Um, but it's it's such an enjoyable film. It doesn't outstay to welcome. It's like fifty five minutes for me. Yeah, I just I, every time I watch it, I seem to enjoy it in a different way. I've I think I've seen it twice now, and mm-hmm. I just don't know. I, I I'm still sitting on the fence. I, I enjoy I enjoy <laughs> most of it, but I mean, obviously, there's a fair bit of repetition. There's a lot of him trail. There seems to be a lot of him trailing around the alleys looking for lizards that he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to find there's bits we're missing out on because you keep seeing this poster going up on the walls and have you seen this lizard type thing yeah but there's mobs there's a joke <laughs> there somewhere yeah but we don't get enough subtitles to be able to figure out what's going on yeah that on. can be a common problem in a lot of japanese films in anime too yeah is that you, you tend to find there's a lot of kanji and uh and sort of symbols and everything everywhere and they might only subtitle the stuff that you need to know because of the plot. Obviously, some of the posters and things in the background could be giving you more background information yeah. and world-building stuff mm-hmm. that we, as Westerners, aren't going to be able to to get as a result of that, you know? Definitely, definitely. Um, I mentioned to Fraser earlier on the um, Pioneers DVD release of Akira, there was an option that let you subtitle all the background signs, graffiti... And everything that was kind of incidental, mm-hmm. and that was so quite cool. It's more DVDs should do it, it, that. It may have elements yeah. that, that help you sort of pick up Absorb on the plot, the world yeah. more, and exactly. the sort of setting, yeah, and everything. And like you say, there, there might be some sort of humor, some gags, or something we're missing out on, even just something that gives you more of an insight into Morrison's job. Yeah, um, but it's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's basically a pet detective, like his venture. He is finding finding things and bringing them back to their owners. Because there's a scene where he's on the phone and he's saying like, well. I don't really hope out much. I don't hold out much hope of finding them now, but uh, I'll keep on looking. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's having to tell some disgruntled pet owner that he can't find his lizard. <laughs> yes. I know. We should grab the yellow pages and see if we can find a reptile investigator. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoy this film, and I think that um, it's very uh, unconventional. Yeah, I would say um, it's a challenge, challenging watch for most people. Mm. But if you if you prepare to tough it out, 
It's the sort of thing that could turn up on Channel 4 late at night. Yeah, it is the sort of thing. I mean, they have shown a lot of um, short movies over the years and a lot of Asian stuff. Uh-huh. And it would be a sort of good fit for that sort of thing if they had like a, a sort of Asian cinema season. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think that um, I've watched it quite a few times now and I seem to always um, get something out of watching it. And if you can pick up the uh, Discotheque uh, Region 1 DVD, it's worth going for because it has some decent features. And you get the soundtrack um, too. And you get the soundtrack, which yeah. is quite... Uh, or inspiring for various reasons. <laughs> it yeah. might not be to your taste. No, no, certainly, no. You certainly can't be, um, what's the word, uh, on the fence about it. You're going to love it or hate it. But yeah. anyway. um, there's some really good interviews and stuff on the disc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it talks about, they actually had um, a big screening in Japan where there was, which was like packed out, like the premiere thing, and they had Sogo and Asano and Nagase all talking about the film. Mm-hmm. And then two months later, the cinema was still packed out that was shown it. Uh, and he kept on. Um... Only holds five people though. <laughs> <laughs> there was quite a few. <laughs> but but basically, um, uh, two months later, they had like a Nagase day and an Asano day, right? And basically celebrating the film, where they asked um, they were asked questions, and he basically like uh, talked about the film's success and that. And there was an interesting tidbit in one of the interviews is that um, originally the guitar that was made for the film it was just for show, it was just like a prop. Yeah. And um, and basically, Asano designed it. He did this drawing. That, um, he thought some pro- professional guitar maker was going to go and make a real guitar, mm-hmm. but actually, Sogo just made this this kind of wooden thing Prop, with strings yeah. and wires on it. Just brought him. He's like, "Oh, really? <laughs> this is it." <laughs> but apparently, Asano uh, liked the design so much that he actually had a real guitar made from it. Right. And he had that at the show, but they destroyed the original because obviously, it is destroyed in the movie. Uh-huh. It's like cut yeah. pieces. Um, but yeah, so he does have the real one now, and that's like. Cool. <laughs> just something I thought was an interesting tidbit but um, definitely check if you can check out that DVD it's really worth it it has some great uh, interviews with their uh, cast and crew on there cool um, and it's a really solid disc from Discotheque and if you like Japanese cinema Discotheque are a great place to go oh, they do a lot of old school anime which I'm a fan of and mm-hmm. you really can't get that stuff from very many places these days so that was Electric Dragon 80,000 volts and now we're bringing it all the way back round to Ty West's House of the Devil Last up on this episode is Ty West's House of the Devil from 2009. Um, I first saw it a couple of years ago. Obviously. Yeah. Rewatched it for the, for the, the sake of the uh, video drone podcast. And, uh, Same here. Um, you introduced me to this film and, and um, enjoyed it the first time. I watched it, I thoroughly enjoyed it again. But yeah. Could get a bit ahead of ourselves there. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um, do you want to talk yeah, no, about Yeah, I mean... The thing about this film is it's very much uh, well it's set in the 80s mm-hmm. and it's shot like an 80s film and everything mm-hmm. about it it's as if it was made in the 80s although it was just just made in 2009 um, basically it's Satanism isn't it? Yeah, it's sort uh, of a cult mystery thriller. It's kind of a bit of a throwback to like amateur horror mm-hmm. Touch of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. there sort of um, yeah that, that, that sort of thing because it starts off at the, at the start of the film there's a mm-hmm. quote saying so many, um, many percentage of Americans believe in satanic cults. Yeah. And then you always absolutely. used to get stuff like that at the start of films like The Amitable Horror mm-hmm. in Texas Chainsaw sure. Massacre. In fact, like, um, despite having a sort of 80s setting, it has a lot of their uh, 70s sort of uh, style. Like the opening sequence is very 70s, I'd say, with the title mm-hmm. card. The, just the sort of font and, 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 and the, the, the colour of it. The, the colour. The, the, like the orangey yeah. colour, like TV movie of the week. Mm-hmm. 
mm. sort of thing. Which Ty West actually says um, in the comedy was an intention. He wanted to have that sort of style. Didn't right. He? Yeah. So uh, everything about loads of period detail. The orange Walkman, well, the Walkman and yeah, the Walkman with headphones. Yeah, or- with orange head- yeah. headphone buds. Yeah. Which everybody had back in the day. <laughs> they certainly did. Uh, whether you bought a proper Sony or just a cheap knockoff, yeah, the, it's all there. It's got great attention to detail and all those elements, mm-hmm. like you say, clothes and everything. Like the clothes and the, and the sort of obviously payphones rather than mobiles and all these yeah. things, but it's, it's all there. So In fact, I think if you showed somebody this film um, and you didn't give them any introduction to it, say it was just a, you know, it wasn't, you didn't get the DVD box or anything like that, it was yeah. just a copy of the movie, they probably would be convinced to think it was, that it was an older film. Early 80s, yeah, movie. Such, such as the level of authenticity with uh-huh. which they've done it. Yeah, definitely. And it was shot on thirty five millimeter as well, I believe. Um, so yeah, again, that would add the authenticity. Didn't have, doesn't quite have the digital crispness that you, that a lot of people expect these days. But again, on the plot, so we're getting. Yeah, well, the plot is basically um, this girl who's just just renting an apartment. She's at uni, needs a bit extra money, sees a job for as a babysitter, big bucks for a very just a few hours work, yeah. and there uh, she decides to take the job on, and and that's where the plot unfolds exactly. from there, really. She goes to to see this family known as the Ullmans. Yeah. Um, and sort of uh, spends the night in their home, and that's where it kicks off. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll just quickly go over the cast. Um, the leads played by Jocelyn Donahue, who plays Samantha. I, I'm not that familiar with with her work. I'm sure mm-hmm. she's done other things, but really, uh, what one of the selling points for the film is is the family, which is headed up by Tom Noonan. Mm-hmm. Um, who well, has been in quite a few films, but he's probably best known as uh, the Tooth Fairy in yes. in Manhunter. The Mike, uh, I was going to say Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Uh, yeah. The Michael Mann version, yeah. Um, and he's a very uh, sort of recognisable presence. Mm-hmm. His wife's played by Mary Warrenov, who's a lot in a lot of Paul Bartel films from the seventies, and she, just a well-known genre actress mm-hmm. uh, from from the seventies and eighties. Uh, Dee Wallace. Yes. Eat his mom pops yeah, up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, nice touch that. Uh, yeah. She's in she's in a few sort of genre films from like the semi's knees. What was it? Uh, Cujo. Yeah. In Cujo. And the Howling, uh, obviously. The Howling, of yeah. course. And that was one of the most famous. Yeah, ones. definitely. But also the the few names in the, in the background is um, Samantha's best friends, played by Greta Gerwig, who's a bit of a darling of the indie scene. Uh, the telephone operator, the nine one one operator, is played by Lena Dunham, who's well known for writing um, the girls. Uh, HBO series, series, HBO series, yeah. which I believe is massive. I've never seen it myself. No, I know that's that that show's got legs. Yeah. which has been well, um, sort of sought after as a result of that. So you got all these little names popping sure. up. So I mean, you've got a pretty good cast. Um, it's a minimal cast really. There's not that many yeah. people in it. Um, which would yeah, be the sort of TV movie oh, of the yeah. week aesthetic. It's it's yeah. There's only there's only a sort of handful of characters and only a handful of locations in the film. Really. Mm-hmm. I am the whole the, the film that grabbed me the first time I saw it, and I do, um, although I do enjoy the film. To me, it's a, it's it's a one-off film. Mm. It's a build-up. It's all about tension. Yes, definitely. It would it'd be very hard to to get a lot of uh, rewatch value out of this mm. film. I think that I mean I have seen it twice. I enjoyed it both times. I think I will watch it again in the future, but probably quite a few years from now I'll rewatch yeah. it again. I I didn't mean to say it doesn't have rewatch value. It definitely does, um, especially when you know what's coming later yeah. on in the film. Uh-huh. But um, I think it's one of those films you need to give it another few years before you watch it again. Uh-huh. You couldn't watch it twice, three times in a row and still enjoy it. You'd need to give it a bit of time to kind of forget some elements of it and rediscover some elements of mm-hmm. it. Definitely. 
I mean, the first time I watched it, I was just like, wow, that, that was amazing because there's a few, a lot of slow, relatively slow, slow burner, films, slow yeah. burner builds up, but when things happen, they do happen. Mm-hmm. And they sort of That's come not out. to say it's without tension, you know, in the beginning. Oh, it's God, it's yeah. got like loads of tension. There's a lot of scenes where you're wondering where it's going and thinking, right, what are the motivations of this family? Are they, are they dodgy? What's going on with them? Yeah. And it's very, very like from from an early sort of moment you start it's to like, hang on. It's really, on like, it's, it's when's it going to happen? Exactly. That's <laughs> the whole crux of the film is when is it going to kick off? But like, you know things from the moment that she gets to the house or the, the moment they both get to the house because a friend yeah, does Yeah, friend drops her off, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and her friend's going, just, nah, just get out of there, but she's, no, no, I'll stay, I'll be all right. And mm-hmm. it's like, but the, the, there's... You, you, the, the rug gets pulled from under your feet a couple of times. A couple of times, yeah. Um, which is brilliant in this day and age when you think you've seen everything. Yeah. Um, which I probably really, that's one of the things that I really enjoy. There's some really it. good um, subverting of your expectations with this film. Yeah. Even quite early on, like, you know, before things really kick off, there's, there's a really good rug pull and then there's, a, yeah. then there's more and more and there's a really mm-hmm. good end. And I think that um, it maintains a high level of tension even with the smallest things. Like, for example, there's a scene where... Um, where Sam has got her headphones on and she's dancing in the house and she yeah. knocks over a vase. Uh, vase or a statue and it breaks it. And um, there's all these little moments like that where there's a bit of a jump in tension or something. You th- you wonder, has she hit into something? Is something yeah. there? And before that, there's already things happened which you know which have cemented the fact that something dodgy is going on. And you're constantly up and down with mm-hmm. levels of tension throughout the film and it's very good at managing that. And I think this would have been a great film to see at the cinema. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, oh, really, yeah. really would have been. I, I, I kind of wish that I'd experienced that way at first. I mean, I don't know if it got released in the pictures over here. Maybe festival screenings, yeah, but not like general screens. release. Yeah, it's one of those sort of um, one of those kind of genre films that like probably wouldn't have ended up getting. It, it certainly wouldn't have had a mainstream, widespread cinema release. It would have had a small one. Yeah, if anything. I mean, I think it, it sort of did well at, at festivals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Got the box around here somewhere. I haven't got it. I'm sure it's got a few quotes on there, but. Uh, for, for what it is, I mean, I think it was produced for under a million dollars or whatever. Uh, it's a fab little film. And mm-hmm. funny, when I watched it again as part of it, I don't know if you if you remember, but um, there's sort of there's a lot of shots of her looking out mm-hmm. of the house. Yeah. And that really reminded me of some of the Argento films like Suspiria, where you see these long shots of people looking out of the house because you know there's something going on, or you yeah. but you don't know it's if it's been subjective. There are or, quite a there are quite a few. Um, sort of uh, bits of camera work and shots and things that remind me of a lot of old genre films that we love. Yeah. Um, it's like touches of Halloween there. Sort yeah. Of, yeah, like few, sort of following people up and down streets and things like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, it was... We see, I, don't, I can't go too much into it to give too much away. That's the thing, it's a difficult I don't want one. to because it's a really good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it's worth people. What I don't know if it's been on film for or anything like that. I'm not sure regarding. Uh, I know that. other other Thai West, more recent Thai West films have been on film for. I believe. You know, it's it's sort of quite minimal and um, with everything that it does, both in terms of like you know how many characters are in, how many how many like sets you get, how it, the plot's quite basic in a way. Um, but at the end of the day, what they do with it is to show you good and really effective. There's it's quite subtle in certain ways, like the. There's a scene where at the beginning where before Sam answers the phone she goes to a sort of billboard and she sees the job mm-hmm. and um, when she's when she's sort of uh, reading this billboard you see all you can see all the ads and sort of have a good read of them 
And one of the uh, the notices on the board says that this is eclipse happening at the college. I campus, mean, that's obviously yeah, really ties in with the Satanist thing. Yeah. yeah, which ties in with the sort of, which ties in with like a plot point. Yeah. But it subtly introduces that. Yeah. yeah. And it comes back to that later in the film, but it's like one of the first early shots. Or the, not the first shot, but it's you know only a few minutes in. It's all there. He introduces yeah. the fact that this eclipse is going to be happening, uh-huh. and it does things that add a little bit of foreshadowing mm-hmm. before you get into the stuff with the omens and her. Sort of babysitting for them. Yeah. This eclipse is happening concurrently at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, and I think that the actresses in it are excellent. They're two two really good, um, two really good uh, roles that they play. I think that um, they picked some really good people mm-hmm. as well. You know, the the two sort of attractive girls, but they're not like sort of supermodel, sort of hot. They're like ordinary looking. Well, yeah, I mean, and they I, fit in with that sort of aesthetic w- of those old horror films. Yeah, well, I was going to say that the kind leaf- of like. Girl next door, sort of the, there looking. The lead girl reminded me a bit. It was, well, a bit one of the. Uh, oh, I think it was Charlie's Angels, a bit like Jacqueline Smith, hmm. not Farrah. Um, not, I can't remember the other one now, but yeah, Jacqueline Smith sort of reminds us of that. And you know, the sort of the hair was all it's all been styled. And I think when they go to the diner, people have got like crazy sort of sideways ponytail things going on and stuff like that. And then there's a bit of music in there as well, mm-hmm. and it's all it's all in keeping. But it's just. Yeah, it's like it's the score really fits as well. It does, yeah, and it's sometimes it's just quiet when <laughs> she's in the house, and you just what's going to happen? It's just all tension all the way. I really enjoyed it. I remember I've given it to other people, and oh, didn't like it and all that. So like, did you watch it? And like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of the uh, a lot of the sort of serial complainers that we know, it's always like uh, they disappoint. They they tend to be more into like the modern stuff. Aren't they? Well, yeah, more, I mean, more into like gore and grew and kind of obvious. It actually there's, there's a subtle stuff. quote on the box here from the New York Times says, "After years of vivisectionist splatter, here is a horror horror movie with real shivers." So. Mm. Yeah, um, that's basically it. Yeah, I think um, um, it's one of those films that it how much you enjoy it will probably like um, boil down to what you think of the ending as well. I think that there's maybe some people who really enjoy it, and some people might not be one hundred percent satisfied. And I like the ending. Yeah, but I think that uh, it might possibly divide some people. Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah, but it's good. I, I thought it, it, I it, thought it sort of fits, it fits the film. film. It fits if you if you're watching a sort of uh, film that you know. From the description, it's going to be an occult horror film. Then you, you know, you can't really complain about. Ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? It yeah. does, yeah. But it has that sort of driving kind of feel that, uh, and I love that that sort of genre. You know, mm-hmm. like so, like I like like those sorts of movies that you know, the likes of Texas Chainsaw and all that stuff from sort of seventies uh, onwards. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's just well paced, nice nice sort of um, rolls along, and I just really enjoy it. I don't mm-hmm. know. But again, probably need to wait a few more years before watching it again. But yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, weirdly, I've, I've, picked, I've got a load of one of the copies that I gave you. I picked up at the pound shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was nuts. And it's like, that was a really good film. And it's like, it's loads of features on the disc as well. I mean, we'll talk about the disc. It's got, well, this this Blu-ray that I've got now, it's got two commentaries and uh, deleted scenes and trailers and things. So, so it's, I mean, I'll, I'll pick this up for a few pounds. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely worth getting your, mit- yeah. getting your mitts on that. Track it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up. Oh, definitely thumbs up for this one, yeah. Cool. Cheers, Craig. <laughs>